and everything. But uh, hey, we are so glad that you guys are here. And uh, if this is your first time at Anchored Hope, I'm Michael. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're glad you're here. You came on a great Sunday. Uh, it is Fall Fest Sunday. We had a terrific trunk or treat last night. Uh, we had to pull an audible and move everything indoors, but we still had about 700 people go through here in about two hours. So it's fantastic, right? <laughs> And uh, a lot of other trunk or treats just kind of closed and didn't do anything. But you guys, we always are good at kind of pivoting and making a bad situation better. And so you guys did a fantastic job. Families were very, very thankful. So thank you for serving. And uh, after service, we've got some activities downstairs for you guys. You guys saw um, all of the uh, decorations and stuff. Pastor Ashley did all that. And then uh, Pastor Carrie's got hot chocolate and cookies for you guys downstairs after service and some crafts and games and stuff. So stick around hang out, talk to some people, um, especially after the message that we're just about to have, you're going to be very convicted to hang out and talk to people. So, uh, but did you know, we're starting a new series today called Good Friends, and we're going to talk about this all the way up until Thanksgiving weekend, and then we will be in full Christmas mode, which we're excited about. But did you know that we have a U.S. Surgeon General? His name is Dr. Vivek Murthy, and he has been the U.S. Surgeon General since 2021. And his primary job is to oversee the health of our country. And he gives a report every year about the current state of the health of our country. And so in May, you may or not, may not have seen uh, that he stood up in front of our country and he reported an, an 80-page report. You can look this up online and see it for yourself, um, but I'm going to give you most of the cliff notes today. But he submitted an 80-page report of the current state health of our country, and then he gave an oral report on television. And he talked about how functionally we are Past the COVID-19 pandemic. He said, however, there is a new epidemic on its way. And he said, this is something we need to worry about because we're already seeing how it is affecting our country. And what he talked about was the epidemic of loneliness and isolation. He started to, he began his presentation and talk about how this has been an issue for some time. He said, before the pandemic, okay, so this is before everything that happened, before COVID-19, he said, research has found that one in two adults have felt loneliness before the pandemic. One in two adults, that's 50%. One out of every two adult was already feeling loneliness and isolation. They had different, uh, different uh, interviews of people from different uh, studies that they've done and stuff. And testimonies, I guess you could call them. He had in there written, people said things like this. I have to shoulder all of life's burdens by myself. Somebody else in the document said, if I disappear tomorrow, I don't think anyone will even notice. You ever felt like that? You ever said that? Maybe not out loud. Maybe you've just even said it in your head. He also reported that this, again, before the pandemic, okay, in the last 50 years, in the last 50 years, the amount of time adults spend alone has increased by 20%. And then he broke it down even further to millennials and Gen Z. He said among millennials and Gen Z, time spent with friends has decreased by 70% in the last 20 years. And he said the main contributors to this were, can you guess? Can you guess what came out 20 years ago? Social media, smartphones, the internet. Anybody remember MySpace? Just me? Okay. <laughs> if, if you just turned to somebody and said, what's MySpace? You're, you're young, okay? Uh, 
but Todd was all of our friends before anybody else was. But, uh, <laughs> but Gen Z, tw- that's a staggering number. Time spent with, with other people has decreased by 70%. And they said the main contributors of this are uh, social media, people working from home and remote, and just the, the isolation and loneliness that, that people have felt. And then they said this, when you're getting into Gen Z specific, 25%, 25% of Gen Z is clinically depressed. And they have the highest suicide rate of any generation in history. He goes on to say that this is just the tip of the iceberg. He said, we are so far behind in our research that we have no clue what's coming in the next five to ten years. He also stated in his report that all of the studies that they've performed have been on on, on college age, 18 and higher. So he said, we don't even know what the the tail end of Gen Z looks like. And Gen Alpha, they're growing up in the midst of this with social media. They're screen addicted. Their parents are isolated and working from home and remote. Many of them are being homeschooled or in small co-ops. And they said, we don't even know the kind of things we're going to see in the next five to 10 years. But they said, if we start to look underneath the iceberg, we're starting to see that this is, this is greatly impacting our country's anxiety, depression, and stress. All of these are on the rise, and the mental health epidemic is starting to show its ugly head. But he said it doesn't stop there. He said not only are we in a mental health crisis, he said it's actually affecting our physical health as well. People's mental state and the fact that they're, they're isolated, they're angry, they're lonely... He said, we're seeing an increase in heart disease. Heart disease is on the rise. Dementia. In the last year, the amount of cases of dementia has raised by 50%. The amount of cases of people diagnosed with diabetes has raised nearly 30% in the last year. And so he's looking at the mental health aspect of this and how it's affecting the physical health. And they said, look, we, we can't really put into words exactly the harm that is happening right now to this generation. If we, had to, if we had to put some kind of correlation to it. Something to hold it up against. He said this. He said a lack of social connection. Is increasing the risk of premature death. To the level comparable to smoking 15 cigarettes per day. Think about it for that in just a minute. I mean we all know how, how unhealthy that could be. I mean if anybody was smoking 15 cigarettes a day. We'd be like hey man. Uh, that's not good for you right. If our kids were doing that. If our teenagers were doing that. We'd say hey that's. That's not great. He said, what is happening because of social media, because of isolation, because of loneliness, because of everything else going on in the world? That is what is like. It's like everybody in our country is smoking 15 cigarettes per day. And he said, it doesn't stop there. It's impacting their mental health. It's impacting their physical health. But it's also impacting our communities. They said, we're studying cities and communities as they come out of the epidemic of COVID-19. And what we have found is that academic achievement is down. Academic achievement is down. Career performance is poorer. And healthcare expense is up and higher than it's ever been. This past year alone, senior adults have felt so isolated and lived through this that we have spent an access of $6 billion on health on healthcare expenses just for senior adults in our country, 55 and older. And so... The Surgeon General talks about all this and talks about how we are so far behind and how what's going to come in the next five to ten years, it's, it, it's going to be hard. It's going to be painful. We're going to see all kinds of different things. But his final conclusion in his 80-page report, 
is that, that what they have figured out is that we are wired for social connection. And he said, we believe that social connection, when done right, improves personal health and it is vital to societal health. Now, here's the thing. I think some of those statistics, they shocked me. Did they shock you? I mean, they're amazing to see that. And if you go through this report, there's all kinds of studies that have been done. You can go look it up on the web for yourself. But quite honestly, I mean, his conclusion is that, you know what? I think we need good relationships. I think we should be in good relationship with one another. I think that your relationships not only impact your mental health, but your physical health. And actually, they they end up impacting the world. And, you know, I look at that, and as a pastor and as a Christian, I go, well, I could have told you that. You know what I mean? Because here's the thing. You know this, and I know this. We, we, We learned this from the very beginning, right? I mean, we don't have to look very far when you open up your Bible to, to learn this same lesson. I mean, I could have done this for free. I don't know how much money they spend on this stuff. But, I mean, if you open up into the second chapter of your Bible, when God makes humanity, he makes Adam. And he looks at Adam by himself, with nature, with a job, with the animals, with creation. And he says this. He goes, you know what? It's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to make him a helper, suitable for him. You know what God said? God said, man, I'm looking at this creation. I'm looking at him as this solo project by himself, working remote in the Garden of Eden. And you know what? He needs a friend. It is not good for man to be alone. And some of you have felt that loneliness. Some of you have felt that isolation. Some of you have felt like you're on an island by yourself. And maybe you've talked about it with somebody Or maybe you felt like there's nobody who wanted to talk about it. Maybe you have had those dark thoughts. Maybe you have experienced that anxiety, that depression. And you know what? The thing is, is that this is something we need to get a handle on. This is something that the world wants to talk about, but people are afraid to talk about. It's certainly something that the church isn't talking about. I mean, I haven't found many churches who are doing a a sermon series on friendship. But we're going to dive into this for the next four weeks. And we're going to talk about how to become good friends and how to have better friends. Because the truth is, is that our friendships impact our lives. If we can get a handle on this and we can do it right, we can make our lives healthier and better. Uh, Dr. Robert Waldinger, which I know sounds like a made-up alias name, okay? It's like, it's like somebody who's like going undercover and didn't think it all the way through. You know what I mean? And they go undercover and like, what's your name? And he's like, ah, Robert. And they're like, Robert, what? And he was like, uh, Waldinger. And you're like, you're making that up, aren't you? Yep. You caught me, right? Sounds like a made up name. It's not. Okay. There's a wonderful Ted talk by Mr. Waldinger. I just like saying the name now. Okay. There's a wonderful Ted talk that you can look up from him, but he is the lead psychiatrist for the uh, department at Harvard. Harvard has done one of the longest running studies in American history. In 1938, they began a study and what they were trying to find out, they were trying to find an answer to this question right here. What makes a happy life? What is it that makes a happy life? They were trying to put some kind of data around this question and figure out what makes somebody have a happy, fulfilled 
life. And so they started to follow people throughout their life. This is an 85-year-old study. It has uh, been passed on through four different department heads. And what they've done is they've taken 714 people and followed them through the course of their life. Some of them from early uh, teenage years all the way till um, they've left this earth. And they have uh, stayed in contact with them for every two years. Every two years, they call these people They check in on them, they ask them questions, they analyze their mental health, their physical health, all of these different things. And do you know what they discovered in the middle of this study? Waldinger talks about this in his TED Talk. One of the key things that they found is is the people who were the most satisfied in the relationships at age 50 were the physically healthiest at age 80. Think about that for a minute. They took these different people and they found a correlation Okay, they found something that you could track. And if they called the person at age 50 and they said that they had good relationships, good friendships, it ended up being that that person 30 years later would end up in better physical and mental health. I mean, they're in the end of their study. Waldinger, he shares this. He said, what we have found is that positive relationships keep us happier, healthier and help us live longer. Imagine that for just a minute. It's relationships, not working out. Everybody said amen, right? It ain't working out. It ain't about what you eat. Guess what else it ain't about? It ain't about how much money you make. It ain't about the house that you have. It ain't about the car that you drive. It's not, even about, it's not even about romantic relationships. Imagine that for just a minute. All the single people about to say amen. It wasn't even about whether they were married or not. It had purely to do with the status and the satisfaction of their friendships. And if they had a good friendship, there was a more higher likelihood that for the next 30 years, they would be happier, they would be healthier, and that they would live longer. Now, I know when we hear that, all of us start to think about our own relationships, right? Start to think about our own friendships. I mean, some, some of us, we think about our family. Some of us, we got great families, right? Some great families here. Some of you, your, your family, they live close to you. If you ever want to take the kids and, and drop them off to the grandparents and let them babysit, right? It's just like 15 minutes to Old Fallon. You drop those kids off. You got a free babysitter and stuff. You get to hang out at holidays and stuff, and it's good. And you got a great relationship with your siblings, great relationship with your uncles and your aunts and your moms and your dads. And that's great. And then others of us were like, I, I don't know my mom and dad, and I don't want to know my no- mom and dad. For some of us, our parents have passed away. For some of us, our parents are dead to us. We don't have a good relationship with our family. For some of us, we think about work. Again, some of us, we can, I tell you what, I have the greatest work uh, mates in the world. I mean, my friends at work, right? I mean, Pastor Ashley would be like, I love my, my coworkers. You know what I mean? It's just me, but you know, I mean, you'd be like, I love my coworkers. We have such fun together. My, where I work, it is the funnest place on earth. I can't get to work and hang out with everybody there. It's great. For others of you, you're like, you know, I really don't like the people I work with. 
Like I, after hours, what they go do for fun, I, I, I just, it's not good for me. I, I don't take partake in it. Like I, I clock in, I clock out. I don't want to do that. For others of you, you are that person who's isolated and you work remote. You work by yourself. You drive around in a car. Or you, you, your, your, your cubicle or your workspace, it's your living room or it's wherever your laptop is. And you don't know what it's like to have work friends. And then for others of us, we think about our neighbors some of us, again, we got great neighbors, right? I got great neighbors. I have to say that because half of them go to our church here, right? I got great neighbors. I love my neighbors. But others of us, you're like, man, when I go get the trash, I pray to God I don't see anybody, right? I mean, I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to see them. They are crazy people. Yes, I have been the person who has called the cops on them on 4th of July, right? I mean, you like, I, some of us, no, my neighbors, my community, I'm not friends with any of them. See, here's the thing. All of us can go around the room and we'd probably tell a little bit different story of the status and the satisfaction of our relationships. But here's the beautiful thing. This is where the church fits perfectly. Because it doesn't matter about your family background or your family situation. It doesn't matter about your work or your work situation. It doesn't matter about the neighborhood that you live in. The thing is, is that when we enter into this body together, there is something that connects us. There is something that makes us genuinely care for one another. And this isn't by just by the brand of Anchored Hope. This isn't something Anchored Hope has tried to create. We believe that this is by design by Jesus. Because when Jesus talked about the church, not the building, but the body, the people, the ecclesia as the body of God comes together, he says it should be a place where people genuinely care for one another and love one another despite their differences, despite their backgrounds, despite, despite their experiences, despite their family drama or family history, despite their economic situation, we are brought together. And he said we should care about one another so deeply that the word church, and your church where you attend, it should be almost synonymous with family. That it should feel like you're part of a family. As a matter of fact, Jesus, one of the things he said was there was a point in time where he was getting very, very popular. And he was telling everybody that he was the son of God. That if you've seen him, you've met God. And so this started to get out. And guess what? Jesus' family thought Jesus had lost his mind and gone crazy. They're like, man, he's, he's, he's talking crazy. Which is unbelievable. Because, I mean, think about it. We're talking about Mary. We're talking about his mother. Even after his mother saw this, she thought he had kind of lost his mind. James, who, you know, James wrote a letter in your New Testament Bible. He wasn't a follower of Jesus. Left. He definitely thought his brother had lost his mind. He's about ready to, you know, pop him in the mouth for talking like this and causing his mom all kinds of drama and stuff. So one day, Mary and the brothers of Jesus, they all show up and they're going to take Jesus home because he needs some help. And so they show up and this is what it says. Jesus is hanging out with the disciples and someone told them, your mother and your brothers are standing outside and they want to speak to you. What they were saying was, is your mom and your mom and your brothers are outside and they have come to take you home because they think you are crazy. And so Jesus uses this as a teaching opportunity. And he goes, oh, oh, good. This is a good, good time to make a really cool point. And Jesus is way funnier than you may think. Okay. But this is what Jesus says. He goes, well, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he points to the disciples and he goes, here is my mother and here are my brothers. It's almost like drunk Jesus, okay, for a little bit, right? It's like, imagine Jesus is like Jack Sparrow for a minute, okay? And, and, 
And Jesus's parents show up. Y'all got to read the Bible with me. It's way more fun. All right. So Jesus's family shows up and was like, hey, get out here, man. You lost your mind. And James is sitting there like, man, Jesus, you better get out here, man. This is ridiculous. And like, hey, Jesus, your family's outside. And he's like, what are you talking about? My family. (laughs) Peter's my mom. And Timothy's my brother. And John's like my sister. (laughs) I got family right here. I don't know what you guys are talking about. And everybody's looking at him like, you've lost your mind. But here's the thing that Jesus was trying to do. This was all intentional. He wasn't denying his family. He probably got up after that. We don't know what he did. He probably got up after that and was like, mom, what do you want? You know, which would be so interesting to see. Don't you think 30 year old Jesus yelling at his mom, but no mom, I'm a son of God. Anyway, but. (laughs) He wanted to make a point. He's like, when you say family, I don't know what you mean. Because when you say family, I don't think about my blood. I think about my friends. And he pointed to his friends. He pointed to the men and women who were with him through those three and a half years of ministry. He goes, these are my family. These aren't my friends. They're like my brothers and my sisters. Which is why we talk about in the church, when you hear that language... Of, hey, my brother, hey, my sister, this is my brother. It's a family conversation because that is what the body of Christ is supposed to look like. We are supposed to be so genuinely in love and care for one another that we are supposed to create the image of a family that is not blood related, but is related through the blood of Christ. And it's a better kind of relationship. It's a closer, more genuine type of relationship. Because we're not bound together by interest or political views. Or even the status of our lives. What we're bound together and what we're bound through is the love of God. It's why Jesus commanded this. Jesus said himself, the command that's that's greater than any other command. Jesus said, my command is this. Love each other. Is I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. To lay down one's life for one's friends. And I would bet. Because you've heard this verse before. I would bet you've never caught. That word right there. For one's friends. And again. If Jesus were here. In the same way if we asked Jesus. Well who is my neighbor Lord. And he would say your neighbor is anyone in need. If Jesus would hear, and and we said to Jesus, well, Jesus, but who is my friend? I bet Jesus would look at us and probably tell us an amazing illustration or story. And probably what I bet we would illustrate is that everyone, everyone that was made in my image was also made to be your friend. Not because you have similar interests, not because you have the same colored skin, not because you have the same sexual identity, not because you come from the same neighborhood, not because you make the same amount of money, nothing like that. It's because we are bound and drawn closer together because of the love of the one who has loved us. Now, doesn't that sound good? Don't you wish somebody loved you in that way? A lot of us all want that. But the problem is that for many of us in our relationships, that's not how we experience friendship. Many of us in our friendships, what we experience is practical friendships, functional friendships, transactional friendships. You know what those look like. Practical relationships are when you're friends with somebody, well, just because it's practical. It's like, well, our kids go to school together, so sure, I guess we're friends, you know. (laughs) 
our kids are on the same ball team. So I guess de facto we're friends. Okay, cool. You know what I mean? I guess, I guess we got to be friends with one another. I mean, we're neighbors, you know, so cool. Yeah, we're friends. Uh, we, we work together. So, you know, cool. I guess, I guess, I guess we're friends. I mean, it's just a practical thing. And sometimes we have those relationships there. Like uh, practically, I mean, just kind of works out. We kind of like the same things. Shoot. I'll, I'll, I'll kill some time with you. Sure. But here's the thing about a practical relationship. If you were ever in pain or if you ever needed help, would you call that person? Probably not. Or functional. Some of us have functional relationship. It's, it's just a functional thing that we go through. A lot of us, we're all guilty of this probably at one point or time in my life. How many of you, if somebody's been talking about somebody or, you know, this person, and you're like, oh, yeah, I'm friends with them. And you go, oh, they, oh cool, you're friends with them too? Cool. Well, where do you guys know each other from? And what do you say? Facebook. What? Your friends on Facebook. Well, do you guys like hang out together? You call each other? Do you ever hang out? When's the last time you saw? Oh, I've never met that person in my life. But me and Daryl Strawberry, we're friends on Facebook. And, you know, we're like this. Man, I was just commenting on his picture the other day and he liked it. We are tight, man. Me and Daryl Strawberry. It's a really cool thing. But we all have functional relationships. And again, social media is such an illusion, guys. It's such a lie. It's such an illusion. Snapchat, Instagram, TikTok, it's all a bunch of baloney. It has led us to this epidemic that we are entering in. But how many of us count those kinds of relationships as real friendships when they're not? And then transactional relationships. Many of us have found ourselves at one point or time in another in a transactional relationship. And a transactional relationship is the reason we're in a relationship is because of what I do for you or what you do for me. And some of us have found ourselves in that seat on the bus where we've noticed that the reason that they're keeping me around, the reason that they like me is because of what I provide for them. Because I always tell them that they're right. I always boost their ego. I always let them tell their stories. I always let them, you know, dump on me whatever they need to dump on me, tell me what they need to tell me, gossip about whatever they need to gossip about. I'm there for them. I, I realize I, I, I give them a service. That's why they're friends with me. And that's a scary place to be too because you've probably at one point or time been in a transactional relationship with a family member or a coworker or a friend in the neighborhood or something, and you've realized, you know what? I bet if at some point in time I disagreed with them, I told them no, or I didn't do what they wanted me to do, I bet they'd cut me out of their life. And so you've said, I better keep it up then. I better not disagree with them. I better keep giving them what they need because I I don't want to be lonely. I don't want to lose them as a friend. That's one of my only friends I have. See, the thing is, is all of us have experienced those types of relationships. And those kinds of relationships are what we're going to talk about for the next four weeks. Because all throughout the Bible, there are these types of friendships. And there are great illustrations of friends who are avoiding transactional relationships with one another. There are all kinds of stories in your Bible of friends who had a disagreement with one another and had to handle it in a healthy, Christ-like way. We're going to talk about all of those. But for today, the thing I want you to understand is that if you're looking for good friends, good relationships, good connections with other people, there is something that is going to be required of you. And the word is this. Diligence. 
If you want good relationships, if you want good friendships, you are going to have to be diligent. I have this conversation with people all the time, especially in the church world, but kind of all over the place. People will come up to me and they'll say, you know, I'm just not really feeling connected to people. Kind of feel like I'm on an island. I feel left out. I see, I look around the room, there's all these clicks, you know, there's these clicks and stuff. And I feel like I'm out of the, out of the click and stuff. And, you know, I, I hear about people going out, going out to lunch, you know, and, and nobody ever invites me to lunch, you know, after church and nobody invites me to lunch at these things. Or, you know, and everybody, sometimes I see pictures on social media, p- people go to people's houses for a game night or something, or nobody ever invites me over to their house or anything like that. And then, you know, I, I see people laughing, they're laughing at TikToks and stuff hunters sending tiktoks at 1 a.m of a monkey slapping another monkey in the face and stuff and y'all are all giggling about it like monkeys and stuff and i just feel left out man i wish somebody would send me a monkey tiktok at 1 a.m in the morning wake me up make me giggle you know wake my wife up and get me in all kinds of trouble anyway that's just my life not yours uh you know but i'm i'm feeling left out and i'll I'll genuinely look at that person and you know what the next words out of my mouth will be i'll look at that person and i'll go When's the last time you invited somebody to go to lunch? When's the last time you invited somebody to come over to your house? When's the last time you got up out of your seat, saw that circle of people talking and walked up and said, what you guys laughing about? When's the last time you sent somebody a TikTok at 1 a.m.? By the way, I'm not encouraging that kind of behavior by any way, shape or form. But when's the last time you did that? And people will look at me and they'll be like, I I don't understand what you're saying right now. I know you don't understand what you're saying. Because here's what a lot of us do. We sit there and we stoop and we put our head down and we complain and we're sad. And I understand all that. I can empathize with all that. But here's what you've got to understand. You can't sit there and stoop and be sad about feeling left out and being disconnected from other people. Honestly, it may, the way you look and the way you behave in that moment, it makes people want to move towards you even less. And you can't sit there and pray to God, God, please bring me a friend. Would you please just somehow build an imaginary friend and beam them down here to this earth for me, Lord, just making them suddenly appear so that they can take care of all of my needs and all of my different things that I have going on. That's not how this works either. You have to be diligent. And here's something that maybe nobody ever explained to you. Friends won't move to you. You have to move towards friends. If you're waiting for somebody to move to you, you're going to keep waiting. They're not going to do it. You can't put that on other people. You have no clue what that, what's going on in that person's head. You, I mean, there's no way. You, you have to move towards people. You've got to get up and go towards people. You can't wait for people to invite you. You've got to go invite people. And the thing that, that in the middle of this series that I wish every single one of us would wrestle with is this question. And I, I, you're going to hate this question, okay? It was dead silent in the room every time I've read this question. But the thing we all have to, because I know somebody's going to walk out of here and they're like, I'm the person who's lonely and isolated and I feel left out. I feel left out at work. I feel left out in my family and all this stuff. And I, I don't understand why you know people don't want to be my friend and people don't want to do this. And I get all that. But here's a question you have got to work through this week with God. Is the quality of my relationships poor because I have not always been a good friend? 
Is it possible that the quality and status of my relationships is poor? Possibly. Because I have not always been a good friend. Because the truth is, is that I come off a certain way sometimes that is unloving and that is not easy to love. I come off sometimes like a know-it-all. To the point where if anybody has an opinion, I will argue with you about your opinion just to prove myself right to make myself feel better. The thing is, is that honestly, sometimes I make it all about me. It very quickly becomes a transactional relationship because it's very clear that I'm not here to care for you and you care for me. I'm here for you to carry my burdens and my load. I need a counselor. And maybe the truth is, is that sometimes... People don't want to be around me and people have a hard time being my friend because my expectation of them isn't to be a friend. It's to carry my burdens in my life. And I make it hard on people. Maybe, maybe, maybe I even create sometimes my behavior and my habits. Maybe it's possible that sometimes I create an environment that's unsafe for other people's mental and physical health. And maybe, just maybe, what I need to do is I need to work on being a better friend so I can have the friendships that I really want. Now, parents in the room, you're going to hate this question. But this is a good one too. Is it possible that the quality of my kids' relationships is poor because they do not know how to be a good friend? Is it possible... Because I know we all look at little Junior and we all go, I just don't understand. He is the nicest little thing. and He's me. How could he not be great, right? I mean, he's my little mini-me. She's my little mini-me. I just don't understand why people don't just love her. I don't understand why she's always at the middle of this drama and why these things are going on, why nobody wants to play with her. I just don't know. I, I don't know why he is always getting in the middle of these spats with people and stuff. I just don't understand. Look, I'm just saying, what if there's a possibility instead of looking at everybody else And thinking, why in the world are you not being my friends with my kid? Why in the world is my kid not invited to these things? To possibly look at, at the same time that you need to learn how to be a better friend to somebody else, you also need to teach your kid how to be a better friend. And look, I get it, because I'm in the middle of it too. I have a nine-year-old daughter. Which if you have a nine-year-old daughter in this decade, it's like having a 19-year-old daughter in the middle of, it's not college drama, it's fourth grade drama, okay? All right? I have a son who's six, who's about to be seven, okay? He can get in the middle of some spats too, right? Where he's in the front yard yelling at one of the neighbor's kid going, I'll cut you, bro. I will cut you. And I'm like, son, all right? And look, I have to have those conversations, all right? My daughter's in the room. There are times I got to look at my kid and be like, are you being a punk right now? Like, quit, knock it off, Right? I mean, I have school counselors calling me and stuff. Hey, there's this thing. We're sitting out. And I'll call the school counselor and I'll say, is it my kid? Because if it's my kid, I'll straighten this out right now. No, it's not your kid. You know, it, I, I, I get it. I deal with it. I'm in the middle of the boat with you. But we all have to stop and ask these genuine questions to get to where we all want to go. But we've all got to understand something going into this conversation. The quality of 
The quality of your relationships is built not on other people. The quality of your relationships is built on how good of a friend you are. This isn't about trying to get somebody else to be a better friend to you. This conversation is about how you can be a better friend to somebody else. Because guys, ultimately, that's all you have control of. Correct? And here's the thing. For the person who's sitting in the room, for the person who's sitting there going, I'm the person who feels alone. I'm the person who feels isolated. I'm the person who has the kid who feels isolated and alone. I get it. We've done things and we've made choices and it, it's, it's put us on an island and this is how we feel. This is what we're going through. And I feel like I feel unloved. I feel left out and all this stuff. Here's what I want you to walk out with today. Cause I don't want you to walk out with your head down because I know this is a heavy conversation. This is a conversation Maybe nobody's ever had with you. The thing I want you to understand, though, is that absolutely you are lovable. God created you. That's how I know you're lovable. God created you. and He made you in a very unique way. And the thing that I want you to know is that God made you in his image. So I know that God made you to love other people and made you to be loved by other people. You are not, you, you may be alone, but you are not unlovable. And so the thing is, is that if you hear this and you figure out this week, oh my goodness, you know what? It is the reason that the status and satisfaction of my relationships, the reason they are where they are is because I have not always been a good friend. Here's the thing you can do with that. You do something about it. You change it. You start to take steps. Because the thing is, is that all of us, we grew up in a broken world. We grew up with different experiences. We all got different tricks and triggers and all that stuff. I understand all of that. But here's the thing. You can learn how to love people better. And that's what I'm going to teach you to do. I'm going to teach you how to love people better so that you can be a good friend. So that you can have better, more satisfying relationships. And if you have a better, more satisfying relationships, the statistics show that you will live longer, healthier, and happier. The Surgeon General, he ended his report and he said this. He said, if we fail to build a more connected society and live more connected lives, we will pay an ever-increasing price in the form of our individual and collective health and well-being. Then he said, if we will continue, we will continue to splinter and divide until we can no longer stand as a community or a country. Instead of coming together to take on great challenges before us, we will further retreat to our corners, angry, sick, and alone. Our very own Surgeon General, when he looks at our country, he would describe our country, the United States of America, as angry, sick, and alone. And I think all of us in this room would probably agree with that. That when we turn on the news, when we look at our schools, when we look at our work, when we look at some of the family that we have, that's exactly what it looks like, doesn't it? Everyone's angry. They're sick mentally, physically. And we all feel a little bit more alone than we used to. Let me ask you something. If that's the, stir, sir, if that's the current case of our country, what do you think is going to change that? You think it's going to be the next president? Don't hold your breath. 
Every time we go through that little cycle, we get a little bit more angry, a little bit more sick, and a little bit more alone. It ain't going to be the next president. No one's going to be able to stand up there and be like, I'm going to make the, the country more, more of this. No, no, no one's ever going to be able to. The U.S. government's not going to fix it. Your kid's school's not going to fix it. Your work's not going to be able to fix it. Because here's the thing. Nobody really knows how to model it because we live in a culture that's so inwardly focused. But here's the good news. This is where the church can finally shine. Because we know how to do relationships right. We know that there is no greater love than somebody who lays down their life for their friends. Not tries to get their friends to lay down their lives for them. So if we can figure this out, if we can learn how to be better friends, if we can teach our kids how to be better friends, then guess what? If we start to model this amongst, just in here, just in here, if we can get this correct and we can start to model this as a church body in two campuses in two different counties and people start to see it, people start to see how we relate to one another, how we connect to one another, how we genuinely care for each other and are there for one another in the midst of terrible stuff that's happening in our world. When people see that and they go, my gosh, I don't know what in the world is going on there. I don't even know if I agree in your theology or if I believe in your God, but I want to have some of that in my life. I want to be among people who truly love me and care for me, not for what I can do for them, not because of where I come from, not because of my interests or my likes or my political views or anything like that, but just because of who I am. Wow, where do I sign up? How can I be a part of it? What time is service on Sunday? And can I join a small group? Because that sounds really cool. This is where we can be a light in a dark place in the world. And we can literally change the destination of people's lives in eternity. We can all learn, learn how to do this and live healthier, healthier and happier lives and literally live longer. But the other thing we can do too is we can literally change our communities and we can change our country and we can change our world. It's been done before and it can be done again. But it starts with you. It starts with you learning how to be a good friend. Let me pray for you this morning. Father God, as we come to you this morning, God, it's a lot. A lot to think about. A lot to take in. A lot to process. God, will you... This morning, help me to look inside of myself and ask myself, God, is the quality of my relationships potentially poor? Because there's areas of my life where I need to learn how to be a better friend. There are steps I could take, things I could do, ways that I could move toward people in order to have better relationships, more satisfying relationships. God, would you help every single one of us have that conversation this week in our small groups with myself? And God, would you reveal truth to me? Would you reveal your truth to me and would you show me grace? And God, would I be able to take that? Would I be able to apply that to my life? Would I be able to learn in this series over the next four weeks how to move towards people? How to have better, healthier relationships with other people? 
God, would you help me to model that so that I, at work, in my family, in my community, I can be a light in a dark place. I can help other people who are also feeling isolated and alone. And God, with every single one of us this morning, if there's any part of us that feels like if I left, if I disappeared, man, no one would even notice. God, man, if, 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 I, if I disappear tomorrow, I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm doing this all on my own and nobody even cares. God, would that person this morning walk out of here and know that we are created by you, that we are loved by you, that you created us to love other people and to be loved by other people. That it is, we are not helpless, we are not by ourselves, but that you are for us, you are not against us. God, would we take that away as a hopeful message, God? We love you. We look forward to what you're going to do over these next four weeks. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you guys stand with us as we worship together?